Hello and welcome to the already fifth episode of the All Swell podcast. I am your host, Kira, and today's topic will be a little different from the topics we've covered on this podcast in the past. Normally, I would either interview one of my brilliant colleagues about an environmental issue at the coast or talk about my own work here on the Outer Banks. But today is going to be different. Today is kind of about you. So without further ado, let's get started. If you have listened to the first episode of this podcast, you know me already. But for those of you who are just tuning in, a brief introduction. I am a PhD candidate at the Coastal Studies Institute in Wanchis, which is on the outer banks of North Carolina, a barrier island chain between two bodies of water, the Atlantic Ocean and the Albemarle Pamlico Sound. In my work as a PhD, I am confronted with climate change on a daily basis, researching about the effect of human behaviors on the environment. This job is not always easy, as some of the future predictions are quite dire. What makes me hopeful, though, is that there are a lot of people who are acting on these predictions, either by changing their behavior, consuming less, eating less meat, or riding bicycles, or beach cruisers here on the beach, standing up for their rights to a livable planet in demonstrations and rallies, or all the people that volunteer their time to protect and conserve the environment. Volunteering with other people outside has a number of health benefits, and with people being able to reach a higher age, those benefits become more and more important in all stages of life. At the same time, the population in the US and globally is steadily increasing in age, and by 2050, the share of people over 60 is expected to be more than double. Having such a large population in the retirement age presents challenges, but also a lot of opportunities. For example, are retirees able to devote their time more flexibly and have a wealth of experience to contribute? Even though there are documented benefits for senior citizens, for example, improving their health and well-being, but also for environmental organizations, I have mentioned the huge labor force who has ample experience and can distribute their work flexibly. The U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics finds that volunteering of senior citizens in the U.S. is stagnating. Additionally, most of the retirees are volunteering their time to religious, social, or educational causes, and only a small fraction of the volunteers over the age of 55 is engaged in environmental volunteering. This gap is the reason for this podcast episode, for which I have researched the literature and talked to environmental conservation organizations and retired citizens here on the Outer Banks. In particular, you will hear the voices of three professionals who represent three different environmental organizations. I have asked them to introduce themselves and their organizations. They are Scott Babinovich. My name is Scott Babinowicz. I'm the Chief of Interpretation and Visitor Services for the Outer Banks Group of the National Park Service. So we administer Cape Hatteras National Seashore, Wright Brothers National Memorial, and Fort Raleigh National Historic Site, kind of as one organizational unit because we're, we're so close together. Um, and one of the programs I oversee is our Volunteer in Parks program, which in the Park Service we abbreviate it as VIP. Ira Hellas, who is Coastal Education Coordinator. I work for the North Carolina Coastal Federation. We're a nonprofit group that our main mission is to protect water quality. And so mm -hmm. I work out of our office that's here on Roanoke Island in Wanchese. And probably most of the questions I'm going to answer on behalf of 
of the work I do with volunteers, but we do have this in a greater capacity with, um, we also have our main office is near Moorhead City in Corcoran County. Mm-hmm. Then they would have more staff and more projects going on. And then we have another field office similar in size to ours in Wrightsville Beach. Taylor McConnell, volunteer coordinator of the North Carolina Aquarium in Roanoke Island, which also runs the Star Center, a sea turtle rehabilitation center. Okay, so we are the North Carolina Aquarium on Roanoke Island, and the North Carolina Aquarium are actually four state-run facilities, three aquariums and one pier, and we are all up and down the coast, so us and then Jeanette's Pier and Nags Head are both local, and then we have uh, Pinal Shores down near Moorhead City and Fort Fisher in Wilmington. And then we also have a partnership with the nonprofit North Carolina Aquarium Society, and they help handle memberships, donations, and then also all the gift shop sales. First of all, I was interested in understanding the potential of involving senior citizens in environmental protection work for the people involved, but also for the organizations. Involving senior residents in environmental volunteering efforts is important for various reasons. Senior citizens represent an important fabric of society and have a major impact on the education of younger generations. One of the senior citizens, Mrs. Joan Schoenfeld, who I have met at the Thomas E. Baum Center in Kildevil Hills, told me that volunteering was something she grew up doing, saying, volunteering is something you do as a family. Having had a career as a teacher, she is still involved in helping young children to get a sound education. Taylor McConnell recalls different memorable volunteers she has worked with over the years and the expertise and knowledge they can provide to society through their volunteer work. So I worked at the Virginia Aquarium prior to being here and I worked with some senior citizens there too. Um, And there's definitely one volunteer who was a retired Navy diver. Um, So lots of great stories. He has swam with so many different animals that he would tell us about being a Navy diver, helping train some of the other up-and-coming divers who became really well known in the area and in the field like he's worked with them Uh, this man even though he retired was called to run dive operations well into his 70s and 80s so he definitely has some great stories Um, working with this newer group so i've been with my current group for about eight to nine months Um, we have um, a fisherman he so he has a fishing company his son has taken over the company but he still has spent a lot of time on the water and has a lot of fun stories we have some uh, some of our volunteers have been like vet techs Um, so they're a huge help in our star center because when something happens they can relate it to other stories or they can tell some other crazy story that they were able to come out of Um, and then also just some of those touching moments they love their grandkids and they come and they tell you all about their grandkid and they try to get their grandkid passionate about it we we've had you know grandparent and grandchild volunteer duos so it's really cool to see that that personal part of them too coming through not only are senior citizen volunteers contributing to society as you have heard they're also benefiting the organizations they are volunteering for scott babinovich from the national park service shared this story with me yeah, I'd say another one that, that comes to mind is is just the just the general concept of you know that that senior citizens have a lot of experience and mm-hmm. 
they, they could help us see things in different ways in our operations. You know, a good yeah. example on that recently is um, we have a volunteer up at Wright Brothers who helps out with our maintenance crew who retired from Fish and Wildlife in the maintenance division over there. And he just loves to come out and, you know, spend a couple hours on the lawn, on the, on the zero turn. Um, but he's been sharing some ideas on, um, you know, how they used to do some things at fish, you know, like some of the thinning project they've done in the forest, some of the fire breaks that they've developed. So um, we've been able to learn from his experience um, and kind of adapt our operations based on the best practices he's seen. And, and we see that throughout, you know, we see that with people who help us with um, education programs. You know, um, when we find a, a retired school teacher that wants to help out giving programs, mm -hmm. um, we, we learn from that volunteer so much because we're, we're not really trained educators in the way a teacher yeah. is. So um, it's it's just amazing the the skill set and the experience they can bring and help us grow. Scott mentions another aspect that is beneficial, and this time volunteering benefits the people who are engaging in it. Working outside is good for you. Several studies show that senior citizens who frequently engage in physical activities, especially moving outside, is protecting against a variety of diseases and illnesses and can even reduce the risk of dementia. Because environmental organizations recruit volunteers from all stages in life and allow them to engage in a meaningful activity, seniors engaged in environmental volunteerism report feeling less lonely and more in tune with nature. As one senior at the Senior Center told me, it motivates him to leave the house as his wife passed away a couple of years ago. So now he spends his time volunteering for different organizations, which gives him a sense of purpose and allows him to give back to the community. Involvement with nature in general has been shown to increase the connection to the place and its environment, which in turn is increasing the stewardship for the local environment, but also the planet as a whole. As Scott Babinovich explains, when he talks about volunteers with the National Park Service. And so pretty much our, our organization, you know, we are um, kind of tasked by, um, by Congress, you know, to preserve and protect, you know, our national park system, you know, specifically here, the three parks and the stories and tangible objects they represent. And um, a great way to do that is to build stewardship. And I truly feel there's no stronger way to build stewardship than when you get physical buy-in, you know, through things like seasonal employment, internships, volunteer programs, you know, when people make that physical connection to a site, they're more, more unlikely to, to want to preserve a place to understand why it's there and hopefully help us fulfill our mission of keeping it enjoyable for future generations too. Environmentalism has been found to decline with age, potentially because of the lack of interaction with environmental topics in late, later in life a trend that has been observed in the U.S., but also globally. Some of the senior citizens I have talked to simply stated that they are not interested in environmental topics, while others noticed that not many people are involved. Despite all these great benefits that we know about, whether they are to the retired population, society, environmental organizations, or the environment, why are not more people, and especially senior citizens, involved in the environmental volunteering. 
During my research for this episode and in my conversations with the representatives of several environmental organizations, as well as local seniors, I identified multiple barriers to involvement. Some seniors at the senior center I visited mentioned their age. They were well past the age of 55, what is contemporarily regarded as the retirement age. One gentleman in particular told me, I have already a hard time walking on even surfaces. Going to the beach to pick up trash or walking on trails in the woods is just not for me anymore. His perception has been shared by several other members of this age group, and the environmental organizations acknowledge that. However, as Sarah Hellas, who works for the North Carolina Coastal Federation, mentions, We, um, anybody can volunteer with us. We would mm-hmm. have from students to um, adults in the retired community that you're focusing on, I wouldn't say that there are prerequisites. I would say if anyone is under 18, we'd ask for their guardian's permission. So everyone would have to sign a liability form that they're going to be safe and sort of take some of the chances at their own risk. Um, Mm -hmm. A lot of times our work takes place outside or, you know, hot sand or shallow water. We never can exactly expect the circumstances or... Mm -hmm or heat or cold or wind, so we kind of have to prepare for that. But um, I don't think that there would be any limiting circumstances specifically. A lot of our work is usually strenuous and involves Mm -hmm. physical activity. Um, So anybody with physical disabilities may not be interested. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. um, there would be specific cases where, like from our headquarters office, we might do like a mass mailing. Um, those are great activities for sitting inside and you know, oh, yeah. letters to an envelope. So we could accommodate older or disabled or, um, you know, variety of special needs mm-hmm. under specific conditions. If we knew the audience, we might be able to plan, depending on what projects we have, a certain activity accordingly. Even though there are some activities which require physical labor, there are many others that don't require standing in the marsh or walking on the beach to spot nesting turtles. Taylor McConnell shares some of the possible volunteering work her organization offers with me. Uh, So I am the volunteer coordinator, so I am technically a part of the education department. However, I oversee all of our volunteers, so we have dive volunteers who dive in some of the exhibits. We have touch pool volunteers, we have cart volunteers, so they'll educate on different topics that are kind of mobile units. We have our horticulture team, so people who work on the landscaping outside, and then we also do have a really strong uh, sea turtle hospital, so the Star Center Sea Turtle Assistance and Rehabilitation Center. National Park Service caters to different people, their background, and their abilities too, as Scott Babinovich explains in detail. Yeah, yeah, it's it's a great question, and you know, the couple things that come to my mind with this is, um, you know, we we can also break it down into kind of like local volunteers and like these traveling volunteers. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the traveling volunteers, um, you know, it's definitely, you know, places to park an RV that has the connectivity, that has the hookups that they need. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it, it's pretty rare to find someone um, you know, in that senior citizen category who's looking for like more traditional park housing. Um, you know, we do offer that to folks. You know, we do put folks up in our park housing that are volunteers as well. Um, 
And as regards to the work, you know, there definitely are some um, tasks that require uh, different skill sets. Um, mm -hmm. You know, we um, you know we we do have some that require more physical work. You know, we do have volunteers and some of our maintenance teams. Um, you know, we do have some folks that are out on the beach a lot in the summer. You know, the, spending a full day in the sun in the summer mm -hmm. could be pretty taxing too. So. Um, so we do try and, and make sure, of course, that we're keeping everybody safe, you know, that everyone gets the training that they need, that they have the right personal protective equipment, um, but also that we're it's kind of finding that nexus again of where we're meeting the park need, but also mm -hmm. meeting the need of the volunteer, you know, where, you know, maybe we're not going to have this senior citizen or this volunteer use the chainsaw. Maybe we'll put them on the zero turn mower, you know. Yeah. Um, so I, it, it definitely comes into consideration. It's not just age, you know, it's all factors of, mm -hmm. of physical ability. Um, but we have so many options for volunteering here, you know, everything from, um, gosh, I mean, helping with clerical work. We had a volunteer mm -hmm. who, um, you know, believe it or not, what they wanted to volunteer and was helping us, um, you know, with our remittance program of the fees that we mm -hmm. collect. Um, you know, we've had others that just simply want to help answer phones. Um, yeah. Uh, you know, others that are giving giving school programs, you know, staffing the visitor centers to, you know, one of the two of the unique programs we offer here is, you know, helping out with the lighthouse operations where, you know, you, you get to help facilitate visitors, you know, getting access and climbing a lighthouse. Um, mm -hmm. But also our, our turtle walk program where during the turtle nesting season, um, people will, will have volunteers go out and sit and watch nests to see when they boil. So then we could mm -hmm. um, we can kind of you know get the numbers we need from them. So it's a it's a full range that we offer. And you know if there's any kind of um, limitation, you know we we can definitely usually find a volunteer opportunity that that fits that need and that and that desire. So as you just heard, there are a range of different activities available, and if you reach out to the specific environmental organization, they will match you with a job that meets your skill level and what you feel comfortable doing. I really appreciated Sarah Hallis mentioning some of the work her volunteers did not even consider work. Another aspect I didn't mention that would be good for, I guess, not strenuous activity, we have advisory committees that mm -hmm, are established yeah. each of our offices. And that is a volunteer role that they would meet quarterly and help to guide our work on a planning basis with uh -huh. our outlined goals and the objectives that we plan around each of the goals. Um, we do try to have a range of volunteers on those boards from from working professionals to retired age to also make sure there's, you know, diverse ideas and representation. Mm -hmm. um, that would also be a good volunteer role for folks who may not be able to spend the long days outside. Um, but really, I mean, I tell my volunteers, even if they can't come to an event or do an mm -hmm. event, that they can help me by telling somebody about it or, you know, Perfect, sharing them yeah. up with their neighbor or something along those lines. And, um, the, all of that is helpful, just helping bring awareness to the community. I'm, I'm one person in this one place, but you are 100 people in 100 places, and look how we can multiply our work from there. So, yeah, a lot totally, of times, totally. they always, um, that's not as rewarding as they're not feeling like, oh, I'm not being helpful to you, but mm -hmm. it is very helpful, or even.
even just their eyes in their community, like, hey, Sarah, I noticed this is happening in my town. Is there mm-hmm. something is this right or wrong? That's really helpful, too, because we yeah. are also you know, have an advocacy program, um, and we can't be everywhere at once. And so that's really helpful mm-hmm. to have those eyes and knowledge of the community to bring that information back to us. Yeah, yeah, definitely. A lot of that is volunteer time that's not necessarily tracked. That's just um, indirect support. Next time you don't make it to a cleanup event that you have seen on social media, don't feel bad. Simply share it with your friends. Maybe they can attend and would not have known if you didn't tell them about it. And another thing that has been shared with me by multiple leaders of environmental organization is... It doesn't matter how much time you can volunteer. Every minute makes a difference to you as well as those organizations who would not be where they are now, in the words of Scott Babinovich. No, I mean, I, I would just say to kind of summarize it, you know, um, you know, the, the National Park Service wouldn't be what it is today without the support of volunteers, you know, mm-hmm. whether, I mean, and, and it's the full gamut from senior citizens to school groups to veterans groups to I mean, we've even had, you know, the Coast Guard station come out and volunteer with us for a weekend. You know, it, um, our parks physically wouldn't be like what they are. You know, these these places are huge. We have over 400 national parks across the country, and volunteerism is a way that helps us fulfill our mission in a way we couldn't do without them. Um, but it's tangible and intangible. You know, it's the physical work that requires to keep a park up, but also that intangible idea of, you know, helping people understand why these places are important, why they're worth protecting. So, um, mm-hmm. yeah, I'm, I feel very fortunate to work through an agency that values volunteerism so much. Um, I feel like there's a lot of traction within our agency, too, that, um, you know, we'll start to see some um, some further advancements in the program in the coming years. Speaking of advancements, I'm sure this talk of different volunteering activities from marsh restoration to advocacy work and teaching at the aquarium has gotten you interested in contributing yourself. So I ask our experts how you could get involved. So we have an online volunteer application. And so on our, on our website, we have uh, kind of like a mini blurb of what each of the positions are. And then that online application so volunteers can go through, look through all the details. Uh, my email is also available, so if there's any questions from the start, you can send me an email before you kind of go through the work of an application or anything like that. Um, and then from there, I set up a meeting. We do an individual one-on-one, so it's kind of like an informal interview, but then also a mini orientation, kind of going through the major policies and looking at what position you'd be interested in. And then from there, we'll set up a training plan based on the position that is chosen. Um, We do a lot of online communication, a lot of emails. We also have a volunteer office on site. So if we have special programs for our volunteers, so we do also try and engage the volunteers we have on site, a lot of that will be through email or through on on, in that volunteer office. Um, So we'll provide additional classes. Uh, We're doing a behind the scenes tour this month for our volunteers. Um, and then we do try and do a couple of small appreciation events and then also one large appreciation dinner for our active volunteers. Right. So there's volunteer.gov, which actually allows you to search for all federal volunteer opportunities all across the country, um, including mm-hmm. the ones here in the Outer Banks. So it's a great resource, but it could also be an overwhelming resource. 
Um, so another option is to um, go to our park's website, um, which is Cape Hatteras National Seashore. It's nps.gov slash C-A-H-A. And we have mm -hmm. a volunteer section on it that kind of goes over how the programs run and has direct links to any open volunteer opportunities as well. Well, we do maintain like a, a volunteer database. So we would just have an email list with folks that we have been working with. Um, so the current volunteers, we would inform them by mostly sending emails to communicate. Um, so sometimes that is sometimes a limiting factor to communicate with folks who have to have a familiarity enough to have an email. Mm -hmm. um, but then to recruit the volunteers before that, would be word of mouth, um, similar mm -hmm. to posting events on our website. Um, if we're really reaching far and wide to recruit more help, then an event would include a press release. Mm -hmm. So press release would be in newspapers or other local media sources. Um, sometimes that includes an announcement on the radio. Mm -hmm. um, if it's really going far and wide to reach some of those new volunteers to bring them in. Um, yeah. And then a lot of times this is where it overlaps with our education programs. A lot of reasons why we would participate in outreach type festivals would be to meet new people and invite them to join our volunteer list so they can learn about activities that mm -hmm. they can get involved in. Um, so sometimes that's just somebody being on our newsletter listserv for a little while to see the events come and go before they are comfortable or find one close to their area that they're interested in joining us in. And all of this information is also in the show notes. One thing I wanted to add, even though these three organizations that I've had the pleasure of talking to are more or less continuously onboarding volunteers, they sometimes have long waiting lists due to their popularity and people traveling to the Outer Banks to specifically fill those positions. If you didn't get into the volunteer program with the National Park Service or the North Carolina Coastal Federations, there are many other smaller organizations who would be thrilled to have you volunteer. And until you have found your volunteering opportunity, pick up some trash and cigarette butts on your favorite beach or when you walk your dog. I, for example, have a routine with my dog, removing at least three pieces of trash from wherever we walk. It has been a pleasure to be talking to you about this topic that is very close to my heart. As always, thank you so much for tuning in today and for your continuous support of the All Swell podcast and other podcasts on the American Shoreline Podcast Network. Don't forget to tune in for the next episode hosted by the Coastal Society team at Duke. And remember, where there's a will, there's a wave. <laughs>